0: tonight. Amen? Amen? This pretty much is about how my evening has gone. I um, left the hotel just a little while ago on the phone talking to somebody while I was coming down the elevator and what have you and to come out to the truck and have my wallet in my hand, phone in the hand, put the wallet down there on the back of the pickup talking to somebody and I got done, got in the truck, came on over and uh, when I got here, couldn't find my wallet and uh, so my wallet is probably in the parking lot at the Hilton Garden Inn or it used to be um, probably not now. So I, um, I called the hotel three or four times, couldn't get a hold of anybody. So I called my wife, I said you gotta call the hotel, you gotta get a hold of them. I said immediately call the bank, cancel my debit card, credit cards are fine, we can deal with fraud alert, but debit card, get rid of that, close it out real fast. And I said you gotta get a hold of the hotel and here's the reason why, have them go check and see if they can find it. But the problem is my room key is in that wallet. And uh, somebody gets my wallet and they're smart enough to get my room key. They'll go to my room. I'm not going to tell you what room number it is, And is. They'll go to my room, and I have a few precious items in that room. And so I said, you've got to call the hotel and uh, get a hold of them, tell them the situation, cancel the room key, close the room key until I get back tonight. And then I'll figure out how to prove to them that I am who I am without ID. <laughs> and so um, I may not get in my room tonight, and if not, I'll knock on your door and see if you have an extra bed. But... It's the way that it has gone. But it is good to be here tonight. I love the Harris brothers. And while they were singing, I just reminded them, my phone's up there with them. So I hope it's up there when I get back as well. But I, I, I love those, those fellows and that family. And praise God for what he's done for them. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 1 tonight. Revelation chapter 1 tonight. I, I thought that I knew uh, what I would preach this evening if my number was called. But just while they were singing and testifying... Uh, it just seemed like the Lord has kind of turned my heart in a different direction and just a very simple thought tonight, and I haven't, well, I haven't looked at it a whole lot lately, but let me, let me just see if the Lord will help us tonight, and I'll get out of the way just as quick as I can. Brother Gravely, thank you so much for the honor of being here and the privilege of preaching and uh, seeing so many friends I haven't seen for a long time, and just just, just overwhelmed uh, to be here tonight. But Revelation chapter one and verse number nine, familiar verses, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. The book of Revelation is often thought of as a book of prophecy. The opening statement tells you that it is not a revelation of prophecy, it is actually a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you come to the book looking for details of future events, you miss the primary message of the book. And that's the reason why John doesn't open with visions of the future, he opens with visions of the Christ. Before he could hear what Jesus had to say, he had to first see who Jesus was. And so after a very brief introduction, John describes the first vision that he had while he was in the Isle of Patmos that's verse 9 down to verse number 20 it's a vision of Christ and in this book there will be three such visions there is in this chapter a vision of the son of God standing in the midst of the churches and then there will be a vision of the lamb in heaven opening the book of judgment from the throne of God and then there will be the vision of the king of kings and lord of lords uh, returning to earth to establish his millennial kingdom You know that John was exiled to the lonely isle of Patmos when he wrote this book. He was sent there by the Roman Emperor Domitian. It is somewhere around 94 AD, and as best as we know, he was probably there around 18 months. And the living was hard, and the conditions were harsh, and had it been me, I would have written a great deal about it. I would have written a prayer letter, told you about everything that I was going through, and maybe tried to get some sympathy about it. John didn't do that. He basically gave you two verses worth, the verses that I read. But he left out all of the steamy, gory details about what it was like to live there. He chose to focus more on Jesus than he did on himself. And the only statement that he gives us is simply, I was in the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Tradition says that John, the elderly pastor of the church at Ephesus, was tortured with burning oil before he was banished to the island. And Patmos was a small, rocky, volcanic island off the coast of Turkey, and Rome used it to banish political prisoners and certain criminals, and the prisoners there barely had the necessities to survive, and they lived in the most primitive of conditions, and they were often forced to do hard labor in the rock quarries and the mines in in that island. And it's very hard for you and I, as 21st century American Christians living in the lap of luxury and and have the sympathy of a government behind us to even fathom what it is to truly suffer for the cause of Christ. And, and we may occasionally face criticism or maybe ridicule or something along those lines, but but it's hardly can to compare to the loss of family or relationships or a job or 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 even our life. But but, but never forget that your Bible was written under the most extreme Of circumstances. Uh, Moses wrote the Pentateuch while he was in the wilderness, and and David wrote many of the Psalms while he was being chased by Saul, and and Isaiah lived in, in difficult days, and Ezekiel wrote in exile, and Jeremiah's life was one of persecution and trouble. And that's the way it is with the book of Revelation. It is written under harsh circumstances. And John writes in Revelation 1, in Revelation 1, he says in verse number 10, he says, I was in. The spirit. The spirit. Now now you may disagree with this, but I believe that John is telling us that he has been supernaturally transported beyond the temporal state of mind to where God could reveal to him the contents of the book. Four times in this book, John would say that I was carried away in the spirit. And then he says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, for you and I, the Lord's Day is Sunday. We talk about going to church on the Lord's Day. That's the first day of the week. But Sunday was never referred to as the Lord's Day in the New Testament. The day of worship was the first day of the week, but it was called the first day of the week. And so I simply believe that John, when he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, he heard the voice as of a Trumpet as of a trumpet, the word trumpet is never in connection to church worship in the New Testament. And and so I I I just believe for argument's sake that the Lord's day that he's talking about is what the old testament would call the day of the Lord. I believe that John is saying that he has um he, he has been transported by the Spirit to the future day, the future day of the Lord, to be shown things which are to come, That is the context of Revelation 1, verse 9 through 20. And there's a month's worth of preaching on all of these verses, but I want to point out two phrases, give you a thought about it, and then I would get out of the way. First of all, he says in verse number 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, here's the phrase, was in the isle that is called Patmos. In verse 10, I was in the spirit of on the Lord's Day. Now, common wisdom says that you cannot be in two places at one time. If you are here, it stands to reason you cannot be there. Tonight, I am in Chattanooga, Tennessee, so I cannot be in Atlanta, Georgia at the same time. However, that is true only in the natural realm because it is possible to be in one place physically and be in another place spiritually. <laughs> John is fully aware of his surroundings. He's abandoned to a desolate island, but that is not his only locale. Though he is on a rocky island called Patmos in body, he wants you to know he is not there in spirit. He is in one place in body. He is in another place in spirit. He is in two places at one time. Now, it is not like he left Patmos and then was in the Spirit. No. It is while he was in Patmos that he also was in the Spirit at the same time. In John's way of thinking, he has not yet been released from Patmos, but Patmos is not his only abode. It is while that he, and this is important, it is while that he is in Patmos that he also is in the Spirit. At a time when the aged apostles should be enjoying retirement, he is in Patmos. At a time when he should be counseling young preacher boys, he is in Patmos. At a time when he should have been pastor emeritus of the church at Ephesus, he is in Patmos. And I will tell you that it's really bad to be in Patmos. It is uncomfortable. It is isolation. It is exile. The company in Patmos is other prisoners the living arrangements are harsh. The suffering is absolutely real. But Patmos is bearable if Patmos is not the only place that you are. If you can say, I am here in Bamadi, but my spirit has been transported beyond this Patmos, then the harshness of Patmos is tempered. Patmos stands for the harsh and the hard and the difficult circumstances of life that we all encounter. I don't know what you're going through. We know what the Harris brothers are going through. But all of us tonight, perhaps somebody in here could say that right now I am living in Patmos. Your Patmos might be in the form of a broken and a diseased body or it might be financial hardships that have come your way. Uh, maybe your Patmos is a wavered child or emotional breakdown or a, or a broken marriage or a dysfunctional family, the loss of a loved one. Uh, Patmos could be of your own doing. It could be an an appointment that God has given you in his infinite wisdom that he has scheduled for you at this time. But I want you to know that as a child of God, that Patmos is only half the story. Do you notice that John does not emphasize Patmos? He doesn't minimize it, but he doesn't dwell on it either. He doesn't give you any description of how hard it is to live in Patmos. In fact, he doesn't even complain that he's there. Instead, he moves beyond his Patmos to to tell you that I am in the spirit, and with that, his entire outlook on life. Changes. You see the fact that he was in the Spirit made his Patmos bearable. I can live in my Patmos as long as I am living in the Spirit. And the point I want to drive home to you tonight and I'm getting out of the way is that you can be in both places at the same time. Patmos with all the grimness and the reality of that situation. But the Spirit is just as much a reality. One cannot cancel out the other. Patmos is his condition. Spirit is his position. Patmos is the outward life. Spirit is the inward life. Patmos is what you see. Spirit is what he sees. Patmos is visible. Spirit is invisible. And every Christian lives in two locations. You have a human domain and you have a heavenly domain. Several of us men at the church, we have been trying to memorize the book of Colossians this year. And Paul starts that book out when he says, um, Saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. And the one must not be emphasized to the detriment of the other. You can be so taken up with Christ and forget that we are Colossae and you become a mystic. Or you can be so taken up with Colossae and forget that you are in Christ and you become materialistic. And this is our choice tonight. You can be dominated by Patmos or you can be strengthened by the Spirit. And the truth is, is that it is while you are in Patmos that you can be strengthened by the Spirit. Because the Spirit doesn't strengthen you when you are strong. The Spirit strengthens you when you are weak. And that's the design of Patmos. It is to weaken you and to make you aware of your own weakness. Because in your weakness, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, when I glory in my infirmities. the power of Christ may rest upon me. It is not God's design to take John out of Patmos just yet, but to let him abide in the spirit while at Patmos. And when you cannot find a way of escape outwardly, the spirit of God will provide a way of escape inwardly. The way that you survive your Patmos, it is through the spirit. The spirit did not change Patmos But it did change John and it gave him the strength and the grace to live that life even when it is not good. Here's the problem. Most Christians can only see Patmos, sometimes the harsh realities, sometimes the disappointments of life, and they cannot get beyond that. But you don't need to go through your life as a child of God, bemoaning your situation. It'll help you to know that no matter where you are in body, you also are in spirit. And the spirit is in you. And it may not change your Patmos, but the spirit of God will change you. If you have not the Spirit of God tonight, then you have to rely on beggarly elements such as psychology and self-esteem and 12 steps. But for those of us who have the Spirit of God living within us, there is the sweet realization that God is in me. And when I go through Patmos, I do not go alone. No, yea, though, though, though. Though not if yea, though I walk through through every valley has an ex entrance, every valley has an exit. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for thou art with me. I do not have to go through the valley alone. Now I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. I want to quickly use John's experience and you know it well. I want to give you four possible contrasts of the principle of living in two places at one time. May I say, first of all, for your consideration, it is possible to be in a place of outward poverty and inward plenty at the same time. An exiled prisoner does not generally live in luxury. John is forced to a meager existence. His only possessions are the clothes on his back, maybe a few writing instruments to pen the revelation. I do know that before his exile, I do know that he was a poor man then because one day him and another poor preacher, Peter, walked up to the temple. There's a beggar there and Peter and John, two preachers said, silver and gold have I none. So he wasn't a rich televangelist even back then. Poverty has been his constant companion. John knew what it was to pinch pennies. He knew what it was to scrape the bottom of the barrel and to have more month at the end of the money. However, that is just his patmos. And I know that money is not the most spiritual of applications, but the money in your pocket sometimes affects your soul. Money is what makes the world go around, and it helps if you have a little bit in your pocket. Now I've known a lot of saints of God that never had a lot of money, struggled all of their life to stay afloat financially and just paycheck to paycheck and juggling bills and sometimes swamped and dead and, and, and trying to get ahead. It's not that you covered a fancy car or fancy vacations or luxury items like that. You just want to put food on the kids' table, on the table, and, and clothes on the kids' bag. And if that's your patmos, then you have. Plenty of company. There's a lot of people on that island with you. But John would say that. It's just my Patmos. There is more to the story than that. The world would look at John and say that he's living in poverty. John would say that I have treasures that you cannot see. John would say, save your pity for somebody that needs it because my spiritual riches far outweighs my physical poverty. John wrote to the church at Smyrna and he commented on their poverty. He said, I know thy works and thy tribulation and thy poverty. And then here's what he said, but thou art Rich, poor, but rich. Paul would write about those who having nothing, having nothing, having nothing, and yet possessing all things. I just want to come to Chattanooga tonight and testify to you that by the world's standards, I am not a rich man. Drive a used car, I live in a modest house, don't care a whole lot about brand names. Sometimes there's more money than there is a month. But my financial report only reflects my Patmos. It does not give you the whole story. Because I want to tell you tonight, you may not know that I am wealthy beyond the scripture. You may not know that I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That I have a title deed to a mansion in heaven. What Patmos does not tell you is that my father actually owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he's well capable of putting a steak on my table every now and then. And he told me if I ever needed anything he is just a prayer away. While my home may not look like a castle, my clothes might be lacking in style. If you come sit at my table a meager supply, you might find but oh, it is not what you see that makes me a king. To me, I of everything. I have treasures unseen. I say to you tonight that you can be in a place of outward poverty and inward plenty. Secondly, 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 I say to you tonight that you can be in a place of outward bondage and inward freedom. When John said that he was in Patmos, we are reminded of his confinement. But when John said that he was in the Spirit, I am reminded of his freedom. That's one of the mysterious divine paradoxes of the new testament in just a few years domitian is going to be dead and john will be released from exile he will go to ephesus where he will retire there with his beloved church and loved ones but john would want you to know i don't have to wait for domitian to die in order to be free i'm already free before i am released from bondage the apostle paul describes this very paradox in his own imprisonments And if Paul knew anything, it is that chains could not... Bind him. I am bound, but the word of God is not bound. And, and there are some things that you just can't tie with chains, the spirit of God, the, the, the word of God. And Paul was sent to Rome and, and he's confined to a dungeon and sometimes he's chained to a, a house guard. He spends a lot of years without the freedom that others enjoy. But it is while he is in prison that he writes such books as Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians and Philemon. How strange that, that a man who is in chains would write about Liberty. How, how strange that a man that is poor would write about riches. But here's what they found out they can shut him in and they can shut him down, but they could not shut him up. It is with while he is within the prison walls that Paul talks about being seated in heavenly places in Christ. Oh, come on, Paul. I'm looking at you. You're sitting in a prison cell. You've got chains around you. What do you mean? you're seated in heavenly places and Paul would say you're just looking at my patness because in the spirit I'm already over on the other side waiting on my body to be I would just like to say to you that when there is no way out there is a way up men may close the outward road but the upward road belongs to God who doesn't pity the captive? I was in prison just a few weeks ago and visited with a man there, had a a prison revival Had talked to a man. He's been there for many years. He's going to be for many, many years to come. He's there of his own doing. He knows he'll probably probably never get out. And and it doesn't ease the burden of knowing that that this is my life. This is my home for the rest of my days. And I couldn't fathom it, the dreariness of a lonely cell, the exclusion from the the beauty of nature, the, the isolation from family and friends and all of that. But I tell you, there is no bondage greater than the bondage of sin. Sin was first a transgression, and sin, sin became a tyrant. It becomes a power that enslaves a man, so the man cannot do what he was created to do. Proverbs 5 and verse 22 speaks of him that is holding with the cords of sin, addicted to some device, bound to the lusts of the flesh, enslaved, enslaved to some evil desire. You see him on television, the celebrity, he walks among men, and it looks like that he has everything together, all of the trappings of success. But within his mind, there there is a mind that is tormented by fear, and there is a heart that is empty, and there, there, there is a sin that is driving him to a place that he wishes that he could escape from. I say to you, there is no bondage greater than the bondage of sin There is no greater freedom than than freedom which is in Jesus Christ. One of the ministries Isaiah said that Jesus would have is to proclaim liberty to the captives because whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. And maybe tonight your Patmos are some chains that you wish that you could break free from, uh, bound to a bad marriage or, or, or bound to a broken body or bound to a hopeless situation. And sometimes it feels like that life is a prison but but i just want to remind you that if you are in christ that you are free you are free to live a holy life you are you are free from the power of sin you are you are free from the shame of yesterday you are free from the fear of tomorrow the chains that bound me no longer hold me because of Calvary i am redeemed i say to you tonight i say to you tonight you can be in a place of outward bondage and Inward freedom, I hurry. I hurry. You can be in a place of outward storm and inward calm. John, John closes the revelation. You'll have to go to it and look at it. He closes the revelation with a vision of heaven. He's transported to a new heaven and a new earth. And he describes it. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For well, the first heaven the first earth. That's well, you know what it is. And, and, and John is allowed to tell us what he saw. Paul saw heaven. What not to talk about it. John saw heaven, he is allowed to talk about it. You know how he describes it, don't you? Holy city, coming from God out of heaven prepared as a bride. Uh, light like jasper walls, walls great and high. Uh, Twelve, you, you know how it is. But here's the first thing. Here's the first thing in Revelation 21 that he says about it. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth will pass away, and there was no more sea. Well, that's a little odd. There was no more sea. Until you remember where he was. He was in an island in the middle of a sea. And that sea separates him from family. And it separates him from friends. He can look across that sea and he can see the storm on the horizon. That sea was his prison. That sea could be calm in the morning and raging at night. And when John is given a chance to see heaven, he said, I looked here to there, yonder there. He said, I searched it all out. He said, I want to tell you the most impressive thing about it is that there is no more sea. That's the thing that impressed him. Have you ever been been in a storm, trouble, tumult, and, and waves crashing over your head? And you're lying awake at night in the wee hours of the morning wondering how much longer can, can you last. And, and the waves are crashing all over your head. And, and the next moment the waves are, waves are, are down and, and it's up and down. And you wonder, when, when is this storm going to last? Is this the storm that's going to finally end me? And it seems that some people get a smooth passage and, and calm seas. But others of it seems like that it's one storm after another. Yes. And maybe even now, in camp meeting, while we shout it out, there is somebody where the dark storm clouds are forming over your head. And you know, you know that the lightning is getting ready to clash in your life. And you know that a storm is coming. But I want to just tell you tonight, that is just Patmos, because John would say that there is peace in my heart in the midst of the storm. And the world has witnessed, and they've wondered how can the Christian sing in the storm. And the reason why is because that all that you see is my Patmos. You don't see that we also are in the Spirit. Patmos is my storm, but the Spirit is my calm. And I can withstand Patmos because I stand in the Spirit. I, I, I say to you tonight, I say to you tonight... That you can be in a place of outward storm and inward calm. I'm done. I'm done. Here's here's the fourth principle I've done. That you can be in a place of outward solitude and inward fellowship. John had talked with Jesus Christ. Knew it. He'd been friends with him. Spent three and a half years with him. He's beloved by the churches of Asia Minor. John has enjoyed the sweet fellowship of the apostles. I'm not a big fellowshiper. I'm a loner. John enjoyed a lot of fellowship. But now he's been taken away. And he's thrust in the company of corrupt men. And I would imagine that he is lonely. The Lord's Day comes around. He misses the breaking of the bread. He misses the preaching of the word. The singing of the saints. The fellowship of the Christians. Oh, to one day be able to see their faces and to hear their voices one more time. John was lonely. But he discovered he was not alone. Because one day John was standing on the shore. He was looking toward home with a heavy longing in his heart. Here's what he said. He said, I was in spirit on the Lord's day and heard a voice behind me. Heard a voice behind me. And he said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. He said, I was standing there all alone, but then realized I was not alone. Somebody was in Patmos with me. Solitude has fled. And I've discovered that I am not as alone as I thought that I was. On one day, on one hand, I am surrounded by men of the lowest sorts. That's Patmos. But on the other hand, the Son of God in all his glory stands beside me. That is spirit. And it might be tonight that you're the only Christian in your environment. And though you walk with God, you must walk alone. And perhaps those who love you think that you have gone off of your rocker because you're even here tonight. You've been deserted by the closest friends that you thought that you had. But I want to remind you tonight that your Jesus trod the winepress of God's wrath alone. That his own brothers denied him. That he passed through this world a lonely man. And the reason why is so that he could sympathize with you in your loneliness. He's been there before. And loneliness may be your patmos, but it is only patmos. I remind you that if you have Jesus Christ you have the very real presence of the darling Son of God as your constant companion and the sweetest fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And though there is outward solitude, and every preacher knows about burdens that you cannot tell anybody else, and one is more lonely than ministry, but you can tell him. You can be in a place of outward yeah. solitude and inward fellowship. Yes. The secret to Patmos It's not to get out of Patmos, but it is to be in the Spirit. You may not be able to escape your Patmos tonight, but you can survive your Patmos. The conditions may be bleak, but your position in Jesus Christ is bountiful. You may be standing in prison, but you're also seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You may have come in rags, but you are rich beyond compare. You may be in Patmos but you're also in the Spirit. And you can be in two places at the same time. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the Word. I pray tonight that I've been faithful to it. I've said absolutely nothing. that doesn't need to be said. And I've obeyed your Spirit tonight. Thank you tonight for the presence of Christ, the realness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts speak to hearts comfort somebody here tonight I pray in Jesus name in our head.